You're listening to B2B Nation, a podcast from Technology Advice designed to help marketers navigate the modern B2B buyer's journey. Here's your host, Mike Pastor. As online visitors increasingly value their anonymity, B2B marketers are looking to use data to understand who is visiting the website and what we know about them. Not all web traffic has the same value. So when there's an opportunity to gather information and start a meaningful conversation with the prospect, you don't want to pass it up. And then once they are ready to engage with the salesperson, businesses need to be there to greet them in real time instantly. And so we're seeing this trend of anonymous buyer. And I think it's also compounded by what the pandemic has accelerated, which is we all want to engage in a real-time, on-demand, chat-first, video-first way. That's Maura Rivera, the CMO of Qualified, a conversational marketing platform that infuses Salesforce data in the chats to better inform the conversation. On this episode of B2B Nation, we're talking to Maura about what it's like to compete in a space with a well-known competitor, the misconceptions around conversational marketing, what she's learned about marketing over the past two years, and more. Welcome to B2B Nation. Maura Rivera, welcome to B2B Nation. Why don't you take a minute or two and tell us who you are and what you do? Hey, Mike. Thanks for having me today. Um, So yeah, my name is Maura, and I am the CMO of a company called Qualified. So here at Qualified, we're really focused on essentially changing the way B2B businesses generate pipeline through their website. So we give businesses insight into buyer intent data, which accounts are poking around your site. Um, And most importantly, we give them a conversational platform. So a way to talk with buyers in real time. And we're really purpose-built for Salesforce customers. So we can kind of get into that later. But how do you essentially connect Salesforce and your website so you can be smart about how you meet with your buyers? And I oversee the marketing team. So everything from demand gen to content to product marketing, uh, we kind of do it all. All right. So there is a big brand in this conversational marketing and sales space. We won't mention their name, Okay, (laughs) but how does that or does it affect qualifieds marketing? There are pros and cons to being in the same space as kind of a, I want to say household brand, but in B2B marketing circles, it's a household brand. Yeah. You know what? It's been interesting. When we first got started a few years ago, I think there are more pros than cons to having a big brand in this space. The way I look at it is having a bigger company kind of ahead of you who's been in the in the market for a few years. They helped kind of carve out the category. They helped create awareness about why a solution like this is important and is needed by B2B marketers. And they kind of helped create create the space and create the buzz around this new kind of way that we want to do things. I think when we were first getting started, it lit a fire underneath us um, because we had to crank. We had to crank on content. We had to crank on our website. We had to show innovation. We had to show velocity. And I think most importantly, we had to make our customers really, really happy. I think when you're first starting out as a company, customer success is number one. And if you can get happy customers raving around about your product that kind of creates this flywheel. So I think more pros than cons and that it, it lit a fire and our, our challenge as kind of the newer kid on the block is always just brand awareness. How do we kind of start to inch our way into the space? 
And also, how do we tell people that we're different? We're not always just the same as the competition. Like we could take kind of a different approach to some of the things that we're doing. But all in all, I think it it gives us like some skin in the game because we want to puff up. We want to kind of get on everyone's radar. So it's a bit of a motivator, I would say. We've had that discussion on this podcast before about category creation. And a lot of Uh, people at startups, when they get going, they're they look at it as a big differentiator. I, I'm going to be a category creator. Nobody else is doing this. And then you go out there and you're trying to explain it. It's like it's like when people pitch movie ideas. It's Star Wars meets Indiana Jones. It's whatever. And people are like, what? Like, what? It's hard. <laughs> yeah. You have to get you have to like get buy in. So the way we looked at it was this category exists let's take a unique approach to it and let's kind of infuse A, B, and C, but, but people already know what the problem is. They know the type of solution they need. And then we can kind of hopefully blow their minds with our approach to it and help solve some problems. So that seemed like a path of least resistance first trying to create something totally new, but hats off to the people who do successfully create new categories. Cause that sounds really hard. <laughs> That's what everyone says. So there are so many ways for people to engage with brands and vendors today. You've got your web forms, you've got email, you've got chat, you've got social media networks, you've got even the phone. Um, What do we know about the people who seem to prefer the chat channel? Yeah, that's a great question. We've been talking a lot lately about this concept of the anonymous buyer. Have you heard that phrase before? Yes, the anonymous buyer and the uh, the dark funnel and yes. dark social and all this stuff that goes on. We got, I guess, as marketers, we kind of got into this. We think we can see everything and identify everyone. Yes. And then we can't. Yeah. Well, hopefully we can identify some things, but not all things. But so there's been this trend, which you see and I see, which is buyers are doing kind of their education and their buying process anonymously. They're no longer just going to your site and filling out a form when they want to talk to somebody. They're doing their research. They're going to G2. They're going to the app exchange. They're asking their friends. They're reading your content. They're poking around your site. And then once they are ready to engage with the salesperson, businesses need to be there to greet them in real time instantly. And so we're seeing this trend of anonymous buyer. And I think It's also compounded by what the pandemic has accelerated, which is we all want to engage in a real-time, on-demand, chat-first, video-first way. Like I know people are listening to this right now, but you and I were on a Zoom call right now having this conversation. And so I think those kind of two trends of people remaining anonymous longer in the cycle because they don't want to fill out a form and get hounded by salespeople right away. They want to kind of get there on their own. And then the new way people operate and interact with each other, which is video and chat, businesses kind of need to shift their strategies to anticipate that. So those are two things that are really kind of driving the way we think about things from a chat perspective. Um, And if you look at some of the stats, customers expect real-time interaction. I think it's over 70% of customers expected as a Salesforce stat that just came out. And the average uh, form lead response time is still like 42 hours because you look at nights and weekends and how long it takes businesses to respond to people. And it's not a good experience. And 
ultimately buyers are going to go to the vendor that responds to them first. So that's kind of the, the thinking behind conversational is how can you meet with people at the exact time they're ready to talk right on the website? And I think that CMOs and revenue leaders, they need they need to do it or else they're going to miss out on pipeline. It's kind of the new expectation. Our consumer lives have seeped into our business lives and that's people want things right now. And if they don't get them, they're on to the next thing and businesses need to keep up. Yeah, the larger chat space, um, just because we've been looking at vendors in this space, as you and I talked about, uh, yeah, I don't want to say it's fractured like it's a negative thing, but now you have the people who specialize in the chat bots for e-commerce, specialize in the customer service bot, specialize in the B2B bot. There's just, it used to just be like, hey, we could put a chat bot, you know, with some AI behind it and some logic and business programming and chat away. But now it is just saturated. Yeah, it's broken out into all these different little specialties, which is is great for those companies if you're able to, you know, find enough <laughs> find enough people out there that need it. What is it that most B2B marketers misunderstand about conversational sales and marketing? I think the biggest misconception around conversational is that it's just chatbots. So one thing that we really believe in is you need to be intelligent about your conversational program. So that means uh, really connecting Salesforce with your website. So you know who's on your site. Are they in market to buy? Are they at an open opportunity? Who is this person? What company do they work for? And connecting that person with the right sales rep instantly. So we always say bots scale, humans sell. So bots are great to help you kind of deal with the masses. But when a VIP shows up on your site, that anonymous buyer who you know some information about them from Salesforce or from buying intent signals, and they are ready to talk and they meet your ideal customer profile, you've got to connect them with a rep immediately. That's a pipeline generating moment, one that a chat bot won't be able to create, but it's not about talking to everybody who arrives on your site. It's about really understanding who your visitors are, segmenting and then connecting them with the right rep who kind of could work on that account. And then beyond that, I think conversational is a lot more than just chat too. Uh, Our vision is kind of that conversational marketing becomes a, a Zoom meeting for your website. So a buyer shows up, a sales rep, they can do live chat, they can do screen sharing, they can do voice calls, they can do video chat right on your website as kind of the, the place to have that conversation. And so that's always like an interesting challenge for us is we want to tell people, yes, of course, chatbots are part of conversational, but it's so much more than that. It's about that human to human interaction, that high fidelity sales meeting. And how do we kind of tell that story? And I think some people are starting to, to get it, but, um, but it's kind of a, an education, I guess, that we're working on right now. It's sort of like, in some ways, it's like going backwards, right? Like we used to have to call companies to do business with them. Then we could go to the website. Now we go to the website in order to institute a call. Wait, but I hadn't <laughs> thought about that, but it is, <laughs> it is kind of full circle. Yeah. We always talk about, I used to work at Salesforce and we used to talk about, you know, advertisements or the website still even says 1-800-SALESFORCE. Billboards would say a phone number on them. Um, and 
some companies are still doing that, but who picks up a phone anymore? I don't answer my phone very often because it's spam and who knows what. But when people go to your website and they're on your pricing page or reading content that's really interesting and they're kind of showing bottom of the funnel behavior, how can you engage them in that way? And I think video will be interesting to see how many people want to use the video component. Um, but I think it's good to give people the option to have a Zoom-like experience and people kind of opt into what experience makes most sense for where they are, what they have going on and kind of what they want from a sales experience. I know my team was totally impressed poking around the qualified site, how quickly they went from chat to meeting right there, right? There's a lot of I love it. businesses there are there. Their cycle sort of goes, okay, you reached out, let's set up a meeting. That's great. The meeting might be three days from now. You know, what other messages do you see? What competitor gets to you in those three days? It's frustrating. Like as marketers, we've all bought a lot of software and there's that moment where you're like, give me the information I need and give me the pricing I need and move me along faster because I, I think we're, we're more impatient as buyers right now, we talked about like the Netflixization of us as a, as a collective, you know, group, but we want things on demand. We want them when we want it. And the old, it's kind of shocking to me actually. Um, and that's what excited me about qualified that so many B2B companies have such a slow delayed process, but it's just kind of the way we've always done things as, a, as demand gen teams. And I think we all had to kind of wake up in 2020 and see how do we how do we do things faster? How do we shift the way we're generating pipeline and and conversational hopefully will be a big part of that. Yeah, we talk a lot about the complexity and the risk that B2B buyers face. There are a ton of choices for every software category it seems. Mm -hmm. And you are under a lot of pressure to make the right choice and mm -hmm. you know do good by your team and your supervisors. And it's that, like you said, it's the speed, right? If I've got eight vendors on my list that I have to go check out and one of them gets me from going to the website to on the phone in just a handful of minutes, that's a big advantage because who knows how many of the other six or seven I'm even going to get to. Yeah, it's it's first right. in line. It's it's speed to lead. I think it's it's more important than ever. And, and it's a good kind of wake up moment for companies to think about how can I just speed up the whole process. Yeah. You mentioned the last two years, and that's a good segue for our next question. What have you learned the most about marketing over the unpredictable, crazy two years that we just are coming out of? That's a, that's a loaded question. I've learned <laughs> a lot. <laughs> um, I think the last two years for me, I've really questioned probably like so many marketers, traditional tactics. I've questioned, um, of course, the role of events. That's an obvious one, but also just um, kind of the old way of doing things from like a content and PR perspective. I've questioned traditional media relations. I've questioned um, analyst relations. What does all of that get you? I think the emergence of LinkedIn has been really fascinating. Obviously, it's been around for a long time, but we've really doubled down on that channel over the last few years. Um, and we've doubled down on content. I think that's my learning is content is king. 
social media is king. Review sites are king. Like kind of going back to the anonymous buyer, like those are the things that people can see and digest and um, understand your business. And I don't know if some of the traditional tactics are as successful anymore. And that's kind of been where we've been focusing on over the last few years is just like this podcast that we're on. How can we create brand awareness in a way that's like free and organic and we can get the word out there? Um, And we've kind of doubled down on those channels the last two years and events. I don't think events will ever go away. We're actually sponsoring B2BMX this week, our team's in Scottsdale and it's the reviews have been awesome. Everyone's like events are back and it's nothing will ever replace that that conversation you have at the booth. Um, but I think there are other channels too, that can build more awareness and generate pipeline that we probably hadn't leaned into as much before the pandemic. I asked that question of a few people over the past few months on this podcast. I think you're the first person to bring up analyst relations, but I feel like that sort of way of buying and researching with Look, it's not cheap to work with an analyst firm uh, on either end. And it's mostly been crowdsourced, right? Mm -hmm. You talked about social, you talked about the review sites. And it's like, I could go to one of the big analyst firms and pay them an awful lot of money. Are they going to tell me something that I would not have learned if I did that diligence on, you know, half a dozen websites for free? Yeah, Yeah. And I don't know. We have this debate internally a lot. Like, I think we've just grown to be a little bit more skeptical, if you will, of some of those like tried and true tactics that B2B marketers have been doing for the last 10 or 15 years. But we've had to, we ask ourselves like, what's the new way of doing things? What's the most innovative way of doing things? What's the most efficient way of doing things like in-house versus outsourcing? So those are a lot of conversations we're having as kind of a, a fast growing team. I think, you know, LinkedIn obviously puts everybody sort of in their own echo chamber, right? If I look at LinkedIn, it's 99.9% B2B marketers because that's the space that I'm in. Yeah. Um, But I, and I've had this conversation with a few people too, that I think what happened with events over the last couple of years, you had this sort of fractured community. Everybody went to two or three events, maybe throughout the year, you had your own two or three. And when events disappeared, it seems like everybody just got together on LinkedIn yeah, and made like this one sort of super community that transcends the various events. Uh, Cause it is, it's where all the talk is in this, in this market. It is, I think LinkedIn. And then also one thing I should have mentioned, but you kind of uh, sparked the thought is like communities, all these Slack communities where marketers live and they're asking each other questions. It is that kind of crowdsourcing knowledge share that you would probably get at a trade show or conference room floor. But people are having those conversations at 7 a.m. on a Tuesday as they're like making their coffee because they can ask, there's an easier way to get an answer. That's been super helpful for me as a marketer. Um, I like just to kind of feel like I had peers out there who I can ask questions to, because sometimes you get so in your own head of how we do things. And it's so important to make sure you're, you're kind of asking questions and you're curious. Uh, Yeah. But LinkedIn is nuts. It's like, you can, God, I can go down the rabbit hole LinkedIn these days. It's like, 
That's it's a dangerous thing to open up in the evening on your phone. It's like anything else you hope to get done after the kids went to bed has gone to LinkedIn. It was so funny. I ran into a girl yesterday. I went into the office for the first time in a while in San Francisco. And I ran into a girl who I used to work with. And we both said, we're like, I've been seeing you on LinkedIn a lot lately, which just felt really funny to say. But it's true. Like she's sharing content. We're engaging with content. And it's I feel connected to her, even though I haven't seen her in a few years. And it's, it's been really great. And we're lucky because we sell to marketers. So we feel like it's a place where our, where our audience is. And one, one thing we we're trying to make sure we do with our LinkedIn strategy is how can we not just push our content, but how can we be helpful? How can we start conversations? How can we connect people with each other so that it's not just a centric with the content we're pushing out there? Um, yeah. We had a, a girl start on our social team and she to kind of run comms and she used to work at LinkedIn. So she has like tons of insights just about elevating your spokespeople and creating original content and starting conversations. And I'm excited to see where that channel goes for us over the next year. Yeah, I think what's happened now because of all this collaboration and communication that's going on on LinkedIn and Slack is now when I see people talking about events and the possibility of in-person events, there's now this, like, I've seen it referred to as the make me get on a plane factor. Yes. It's a lot of work. What are you going to give me other than lunch and a stress ball and (laughs) (laughs) t-shirts? Yeah. It's yeah. It's, it's, um, it's a lot of work. I've, I've gone to some conferences over the past few months, um, we've sponsored some one in December and one this month. Um, and as vendors, it's great because you feel like there's that authentic connection, but as a user, it's a lot of time to take out of your day and it's time away from your families and like, it's time away from your day job. And I think it has to be really compelling. I think like, I always think Salesforce's events are so interesting because they're so, um, they have such a great mix of learning. So people go and they feel like I'm going to become better at my job. There's hackathons, there's interactive trainings, there's work sessions, but then there's also this draw of, which is expensive, but like the celebrities and all of the um, luminaries that they have join. And, and those two factors, I think make Salesforce events really compelling, but how do smaller companies recreate that? Right. The question we ask just about everybody who appears on B2B Nation, what is your favorite tool? What's the one thing you can't work without? And let's see, for you, we're going to say you can't say qualified. And you can't say your phone unless you're citing a specific app. Okay, noted. Um, my This is a great question. My favorite app is lately is Figma. Um, it's a kind of collaborative design application. Um, my designers might hate how much I love it because it gives me the autonomy to go in and pull assets and like mess with things. Um, but I, I really have a passion for great design and modern brand and the autonomy it gives me to create like beautiful assets for a slide or help collaborate on a landing page with our designers and product marketers. We move so much faster than the old way of like Photoshop reviews, Photoshop reviews. So Figma has been really fun, especially when we were smaller and I needed to be scrappy with design. I feel like I, I, I was, I do not claim I'm a designer, but it allowed me to get things done. So from a work perspective, I'd say that's my favorite app, my favorite personal, can I do two? 
Yeah, absolutely. My favorite personal app would be um, an app called Photo Circle, which is where uh, my family, we upload pictures of our kids so all of our family can see it. And then there are like photo circles for you know, my nieces and nephews, and it's where we can upload pictures and videos and kind of share that those moments with our family, which was especially cool during COVID. Um, but those are probably the two I, I open up the most. I think I heard every designer that I know groan when you mentioned, I know, I'm I not know. a designer, but I can use this tool to go and I do know. design. <laughs> I know. I, I totally agree. I like, that's my biggest joke with our design team. I'm like, I'm just going to pop in Figma and I, but the, I joke with them. I try and respect their space, but if I can be scrappy on my own for things that won't bother, that won't be a good use of their time, I do that too. But I totally agree. <laughs> All right, Maura Rivera, CMO of Qualified. Thanks for joining us on this episode of B2B Nation. Thanks for having me, Mike. It was fun. Many thanks to Maura Rivera from Qualified for joining us on this episode of B2B Nation. If you found this episode helpful or insightful, share it with a friend or colleague and subscribe to B2B Nation on Apple, Google, Spotify, or SoundCloud. Thanks to the B2B Nation team here at Technology Advice, Amy Dunn, Caroline Mishar, and KJ Pace. Mnemonics in the Guild composed our theme song. We'll catch you on a future episode of B2B Nation. 